0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast with your host, metaphysician, Reiki master and hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discover teachings, tips and tools to radiate your best life ever with practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hello and welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I am so excited today. Today we're going to radiate healing With Mark Anthony J.D., the psychic explorer and psychic lawyer, who is a world-renowned psychic medium, Oxford-educated attorney, near-death experience researcher, paranormal expert, and legal analyst, who appears internationally on TV and radio, and also here on my little podcast, and headlines at conferences and expos. Now, the psychic explorer may be found lecturing at an Ivy League university about quantum physics one day, and the next off to mystical locations in remote corners of the world to explore ancient ruins and supernatural phenomena. Marcus featured is a featured columnist for Best Holistic Life magazine and author of three best-selling books. His latest, The Afterlife Frequency, is what we're going to be focusing on today and is a riveting story driven uh, exploration taking you around the globe from the cosmic to the subatomic into the human soul itself. The afterlife frequency has been endorsed by the world's top survival of consciousness scientists and designated by PrettyProgressive.com, I think that's right up my alley, as one of the top books about faith in God, and it has been submitted for a Pulitzer Prize. My gosh, Mark, I'm so excited to have you on here. When do you sleep?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I do my best. You know, I I look at it like this and, and this is probably what I got from my parents. My parents were the most motivated people and they always instilled in me that you have to make each day count. You have to accomplish something, you know, and it's funny because you no, know, I, I travel a lot around the world and people say, oh, you went to Costa Rica. Did you like hang out on the beach? And it's like, no, but I walked along the beach and then a, did a hike in the rainforest. And and then we're up there, you know, I'm not the type of guy that's just going to hang out around the pool. OK, I want to do things. I want to explore. I want to understand. And um, so so that certainly carries on into my work. And I think you're a lot like that, too, Christy, when we were talking is. You know, each day that we're alive is a gift. And it's though some days it doesn't feel like that, particularly, let's say, in the wake of the passing of a loved one. Okay, that doesn't feel like a gift when you're just crushed by grief. But even in that darkness, we have the ability to do something positive. And so that's that's what has um, always been part of my life.
0: Right. Now you're a fourth generation psychic from what I understand. Yes. How was this, uh, how was this gift addressed in your family?
1: I'm I'm smiling because I'm the first person that, that ever went public with it. Although it wasn't exactly unknown in the communities that we lived in.
0: Right. Um,
1: My mother's, grandmother, which would be my maternal great-grandmother. Her name was Giovanna. And that part of the family hailed from Italy, and they came over to the U.S. in the early 20th century. And Giovanna um, was known in the Italian community of North New Jersey and New York City as the woman who knows things. And um, officials from the Catholic Church used to meet with her. I mean, we're talking everything from nuns all the way up to cardinals. And um, they used to like, treat her as, as a woman of great respect and knowledge for her psychic abilities. In fact, in 2016, PBS did a, um, a two-night special called The Italian Americans, and they actually did an entire segment on Giovanna. Oh, um, and they, yeah, and they referenced her psychic abilities. And I remember when I was watching it, you know, and on the, the commercials you know, I'm calling my cousins, you know, we're all like calling and texting each other. Like, did you see that? And, uh, and then on my dad's side of the family, they were very conservative Pennsylvania Baptists. In fact, my great, great grandfather, his name was Judson Curtis. He founded a church in, in Pennsylvania up in the mountains And my dad had uh, four siblings, three sisters and a brother, and one of his sisters, Marjorie, was a medium like he was, as well as uh, their mother... um Isabel and his maternal grandmother, Grace. So I've been able to track these abilities back to like the 1890s on both sides of the family. Uh, It appears to be a genetic trait, what's known as a recessive genetic trait. It's like being left-handed. You know, it's genetic, whether or not you're right-handed or left-handed. 90% of the people in the world are right-handed, 10% are left-handed and that gene, that trait can skip a few generations. But when you have two parents with the same genetic uh, recessive genetic trait, then the likelihood of one of their children having the, that trait increases. So here I am.
0: Here you are. When did you first realize that you possessed this trait?
1: I was about three and a half uh, years old. Um, the really interesting thing about my childhood is I have a very clear memory of events from the time I was about 18 months old. You know, people say, oh, you can't remember anything before the age of five, it's like, oh, but I can. And, um, and I remember um, my first memory, and this isn't a psychic memory, but, and it's funny because I really haven't talked about this very much, so I guess there's something about you, Christy, that makes me wanna talk about this. My first coherent memory, I was sitting in a high chair, and I was banging on, you know, the place there, you know, the high chair with the little tray in front. I was yeah. banging on it. And both of my parents were leaning over and they were talking to me, telling me how much they loved me. I mean, I, when I think of that, I, I'm just so overwhelmed. That's my first memory. You know, so, so I, I, I am so grateful that that I have that ability to recall that, and that I had parents that that really loved me so very much. And then when I was about three and a half years old, I started having my invisible friends, which you know is not unusual for a toddler, but when mommy and daddy can see those friends as well, and I'll never forget mom's reactions, like, oh, he's got it, and dad's was like, Oh, he's got it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can imagine that. Oh, my God. Well,
1: yeah. And, and the, uh, the thing is, my dad was a Navy SEAL. And, um, and then after uh, he got out of the Navy, he went into aerospace. So he was a Navy SEAL and a NASA engineer. This is a real no nonsense guy mom was a commercial illustrator mom was an artist okay so she was she was kind of like in in my first book Never Letting Go I described my mother as kind of a combination of Shirley MacLaine, Elizabeth Taylor um (laughs) Lucille Ball and as my dad said (laughs) Joe Lewis you know the the, the fighter all kind of rolled into one you know And, and she was just a whole lot of fun you know and um But when I was um, about six months after I started seeing spirits, and I'm not going to go into it because it it takes too long. Plus, I write about it extensively in in the afterlife frequency. I had a near-death experience where I went into cardiopulmonary failure. So by the time I was four, I was seeing spirits. I had an NDE. And, you know, I'd been through, you know, some pretty, pretty harrowing experiences. Right. Um, I remember being in a tornado, uh, which was really, really something. Um, in fact, I wrote an article about that that's coming out in the September issue of Best Holistic Life magazine. Um, and I call it Instant Karma, C-A-R hyphen M-A. I'm not going to tell you about the story. People are going to have to subscribe which you can get a free subscription to best holistic life magazine yeah free online subscription it's bestholisticlife.com and uh, it's a wonderful magazine it's right up uh, our alley christy because you have people in different aspects of of holistic life and that's the the theme of today's show is healing you know and and uh, le- leading a holistic lifestyle emotionally mentally physically and spiritually is a healthful A healthy way to live
0: I agree absolutely everything goes better with awareness and everything goes better with spirit so yes living that holistic lifestyle is just where it's at (laughs) and so um when did you first start to realize that you could do something professional with this gift when did you start bringing that in
1: um the, the reason I'm laughing is when I um it was always there Okay. But I remember my dad telling me, don't talk about it. Okay. Same. Yeah. Don't talk about it. Just talk about it to your mom and I. And there, there's uh, a reason for that. But people can find out about what that reason is if they read my second book, Evidence of Eternity. Okay. it's so something horrible that happened to his sister. Um, because of her ability so they wanted to to keep it quiet so it was always there but then when I started practicing law my first job I was a prosecutor now it's funny because a lot of people don't understand what a prosecutor is a prosecuting attorney works for the state I was working for the state of Florida and we're the ones that you know when people get arrested and they're charged with crimes we're the ones that have to bring forth the evidence To to convict them, assuming that that, you know, we are convinced of their guilt. Well, when you're a young prosecutor, you get stuck with first appearances. Now, first appearances, um, when someone gets arrested, they have to be brought in front of a judge within 24 hours. And so, you know, when you're a young attorney, fresh out of law school, they stick you on weekend duty. So I'd have to go to the jail and, you know, people are arrested and they're hung in jail and they'd bring them in and I'd be there with uh, my co-counsel, you know, and, and we would, you know, say whether or not this person should have bail and if they uh, should have bail, what it should be. And then of course the defense, usually a public defender, um, the defense attorney would, would argue the contrary and then the judge makes the decision. So people would come in and before I ever looked at the reports, i a go sex offender, burglar, um, wife beater, alcoholic, cocaine dealer, you know, and and my co-counsels go, how do you know that? Then they're looking at the reports, going, You're right. And you know, and the thing is it, You know, if you look at all these people, I mean, people who have been in the drunk tank all night all have a grungy, rough look. And so it got to be a game that Mark knows stuff about people. Um, So before they show me the um, the report, you know, and we weren't doing this on, you know, on 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 uh, the the speaker. It'd be just me and my my co-counsel. It got to be a thing like, see if Mark can figure out what the person's charged with before we show him the report. You know, and I had like a ninety, you know, five percent or even greater accuracy rate, and so I started getting this reputation for this guy kind of knows stuff, and particularly in in trial, and um, I wrote a story. Uh, in fact, my book, my first book, "Never Letting Go," starts with this. Um, it was jury selection, and now now by this time I was working. In private practice, and I was a defense attorney, so now I was defending people. I was representing this, you know, big bruiser, and he'd gotten into a barroom brawl, and he, you know, beat up this other big bruiser. So usually, what happens in barroom brawls is the loser files charges. Okay, my client, being the winner, was the one that got arrested, and so we're doing what's called voir dire or jury selection, and that's where they um, the the bailiffs bring in a group of people and we both sides, first the judge, then the prosecution, then the defense. We get to question everybody to see if they have any biases. And then that's how we select a jury. You you pop off the people that, excuse me, you exclude the people that have biases and then you get a jury of six people plus one alternate. Well, Chrissy, I kept getting drawn to this one woman and I kept feeling a female spiritual presence around her. And it was getting really intense. Okay. And I kept feeling this tightening around my throat. And I'm like, okay, this is, you know, this is not the time to be doing this. So now it's time for me to question the prospective jurors. And so I, I, I let off with: Is anyone here ever been? Or a family member been a victim of a violent crime her hand goes right up the tears shoot out of her eyes and she said a year ago my sister was in a foreign country when an escaped mental patient strangled her then dismembered her body and threw her in a garbage can like she was trash and this woman and like i'm standing there like you know, and they didn't teach me in law school how to deal with this one. And my client's like, dude, what are you doing? And the courtroom was was like, even the prosecutor was so stunned, you know, wasn't objecting. And all of a sudden I start seeing an, uh, the image of this woman's sister getting stronger and stronger. And if you want to find out what happens, you're going to have to get my book, Never Letting Go. <laughs>
0: Set these up mark that's awesome nice. but, but i mean it's it's true i mean it's like
1: oh my god you know and and these things happen because people and you probably get this too oh do you just walk around flinging out readings at people no it's unethical isn't it
0: it is unethical
1: it, it's it's and see that's what i have problems with some of these tv shows or right. somebody will be sitting there eating lunch and the medium runs up hi i'm a medium and they throw a reading at the person First off, that's phony, and here's why. There's a whole camera crew with the medium. Secondly, that person can't be on camera unless they sign an authorization, allowing that. Third, all the people in the background whom you see uh, have to sign authorizations. Fourth, when you have five different camera angles, perfect lighting, perfect sound, close-ups, perfect makeup, that takes like six or seven hours to film that. OK, so the idea of going and flinging a reading at a person in a pizza parlor, um, it may make for good entertainment value, but that isn't legitimate mediumship, nor is it right for someone to just go up to a person that you don't know and deliver a message. That's like saying going up to someone with a pair of pliers, prying their mouth open and yanking a tooth out. Okay. it's it's really it's like, oh, you need a root canal. You know, it's like, no, you don't do things like that to people.
0: That is low integrity. You know, I'd like to say that just because I because I'm also a a professional medium. Yes. That just because I have a key to somebody's house, I'm not going to go in without them knowing.
1: Exactly. Because the thing is, that person's there at the pizza parlor or the sandwich shop or whatever, because they want to have, you know, something to eat. They're not there because they want to deal with the passing of a loved one. See, mm-hmm. spirit communication, yes, we can pick up on their spirits. Um, but just because you can do something doesn't mean that this is the right time to yes, do it. Certainly. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so spirit communication, it's like there's these um, um, fraud accounts going around on Instagram um, and uh, you know, there's all of us have been subject to it where uh, these, these creepy fraud people direct message someone saying they're me or some other medium and, oh, I have a message you. Well, first off, I would never do anything that sleazy. I would never do anything sleazy, period. And that's unethical. If people want a reading, they know how to get in touch with me by visiting my website, afterlifefrequency.com. OK, plus somebody has to be open to spirit communication and want to do that, that, you know, they have to want the contact.
0: Exactly. They have to initiate it. Right. That's and that way it would be ethical. Um, well, let's switch over to your book, The Afterlife Frequency, nominated for a Pulitzer for crying out loud, bestselling book. You just keep seeming to like gain momentum with each subsequent book. So why did you set out to write the afterlife frequency? What did you want to what did you want to share with people about that?
1: When I was 8 years old, I was looking at the stars with my dad. And he was a NASA engineer and dad worked with astronauts. So I just I thought my dad was the coolest guy in the world. And you know, I was I was always a good student and we were talking about how far the stars were and dad said to me there are no such things as mysteries mark there's only questions for which we do not yet have the answer and if enough research enough funding and enough dedication goes into any question eventually we'll find the answer he said and it's going to be based on on science on physics you know, and that really, really hung on. You know, I hung on to that. And then um, then years, years later, you know, I wrote my first book, Never Letting Go. And that's a whole story how that came into being. And then when I was on the Never Letting Go book tour, people kept asking me questions about reincarnation and whether animals have souls and is there a scientific basis for this. So that led to me writing Evidence of Eternity. But the afterlife frequency, I wanted to go even further. And so the subtitle of of the afterlife frequency, and I have a copy of it here, is the scientific proof of spiritual contact and how that awareness will change your life. And so I'm explaining that the different forms of spirit communication, not just mediumship that, that, you know, you're a medium, I'm a medium, people come to us for connections, but mediumship, direct contact, whether let's say somebody has a, a visitation in a dream that feels real, and you wake up and you know that you just spoke to your loved one. What about a near-death experience? Very heavily documented uh, for thousands of years, and, and as an nde and an NDE researcher, also shared death experiences. Now, this is a biggie. This is um, uh, the new frontier in in near-death experiences. It's when somebody is in the process of actively dying and people in close physical proximity, family members, friends, hospice workers, healthcare workers, start to see spirits. And these people are not mediums. And what's happening there is the, the vibrational frequency overlap between that person's soul as they're getting ready to leave their body. So there are several different forms of spirit communication, and they're all explainable on the basis of quantum physics. But I'm going to give a spoiler alert. My book is not a dry, boring treatise. I spent enough time in law school and the practice of law reading boring books Boring legal opinions. I'm not going to inflict that on anyone. So I explain these concepts, but then I illustrate it with stories, fast moving. Some are funny, some are really intense, because that's life. You know, sometimes life is funny, sometimes it's devastating, sometimes it's like, how did that even happen? And so that's why I decided to write the afterlife frequency. But if you'll indulge me, I'm with my friend Billy in in Thailand. And the thing about Billy is we met when we were 11 years old. Okay. Now this story is not in the afterlife frequency. And, And I purposely didn't put it in because I knew I'd be discussing this to tell people why I wrote the afterlife frequency. And we were both raised in the Catholic faith. But he was an atheist. And so starting in high school, we had these discussions about the afterlife in the existence of God. And it was this ongoing debate, almost an argument, but but an intellectual one that, you know, never got all, you know, confrontational. He was like my brother. I mean, we went to junior high, high school, college together. After uh, college, I went to law school. He went to Asia and he had an aptitude for languages. He learned how to speak Japanese, Thai, Indonesian, and he was pretty good with uh, Cantonese, uh, a form of Chinese. Great. And so, so he was the perfect person to travel through Asia with. And, you know, we'd always be at these Buddhist temples, and of course I'm talking to all the monks and and all this, and he's like, you know, I still don't believe in God, but. He goes, you get me thinking, and I don't know how you do that psychic thing. And I said, well, why don't you believe? He said, because there's no technology, there's no science that can prove this. So one of the happiest days of my life, and let me see if I can get through this so I get all choked up, was when he, and, he met this beautiful woman in Japan years later. They asked me to perform their wedding ceremony because I was at the time I was a notary public, and I'll never forget. It was it was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful spring day, and it was um, at this uh, like um, cabana overlooking the ocean. And there I am standing there, you know, in the role of a minister, and everybody I loved was there and alive. My parents were there, his parents, all of our friends from college and high school, my fraternity brothers, um, and there's my best friend and my new best friend, and I'm performing their wedding ceremony. And, you know, when you look back on life, you know, happiness isn't some swimming pool that we, we jump into and like, I'm happy. It's looking back on a tapestry, and each memory and each experience is a thread. And when the happy threads outnumber the unhappy ones and the difficult ones, then he had a good life. Okay, you had a happy life. And that was one of those sparkling moments in my life. Mm. And then a few years later, his wife called me, and she said, he's on life support. He, he, Billy was suffering from depression and was having an issue with alcoholism. And he did a, a major drug overdose. He was taking care of his father who was dying of cancer and he got into his father's morphine. And I'll never forget. She said, they want me, she's Japanese. And she goes, Mark, I don't know who to call. I have no one else in America to talk to. She goes, they want me to kill him. I can't do it. And I said, then don't do it. I said, don't let the doctors pressure you. Don't do it. You're not ready yet. I'm I never regretted that because three hours later he expired on his own. And if she would have ordered life support removed, she never would have forgiven herself. So then I get the message um, and I'm devastated in a year and a half or a year later. Um, never letting go had come out and I was on the never letting go tour and I was at Estes Park in Colorado at the Stanley Hotel yeah. and uh, yeah Stanley hotels and they do paranormal investigations as part of all this and I had just spoken and uh, then I was on the um, in the conference room and I you know I was at my table autographing books and my manager Rocky she was walking around looking at all the other exhibitors and there was one guy there he was exhibiting the, um, uh, what do they call it? The, The spirit box, the spirit box scanner. And all of these devices are there because they had a lot of paranormal investigators. And so Rocky's walking by this table and all of a sudden she hears Get Mark and she stops and she looks at this thing and the investigator said, did you hear that? And then it says again, get Mark. And Rocky's like, oh, my God. And he goes, do you think he means your Mark, Mark Anthony? So all of a sudden I hear, Mark, get over here. Get over here. And I'm looking up, and there's this crowd forming. So I get up, and I run over to this table. And I'm like, what is it? What, what, what? And when I walk up, I hear, dude. And I stopped in my tracks, and I looked at And he goes, love you, bro. It was his voice. And I looked at Rocky because she knew him. She goes, Mark, that was... Billy. And she's crying and the tears are coming down my eyes. And I'm looking at this, you know, I mean, look, I'm a medium. I'm the one used to, you know, freaking people out doing this, but I heard his voice and the investigator, the guy selling this stuff goes, this is highly unusual. It called Mark by name, not once, but twice. And I heard this. And, and, and then see, cause we're from the surfing culture of East coast, Florida. And he always called me, dude, Dude, answer the phone, you go, dude, you know, and the last thing that he did, did say to me was love you, bro, in this world. I remember when I saw him, he hugged me, you know, and he was, I love you, bro. And so that's what came through. And so at first, I thought that this was just, you know, fantastic. I mean, and it was. But one of the concepts that I write about in the afterlife frequency is called the unfolding. And that's when after the reading, think of the readings like a flower, blooms, blossoms, unfolds. And it can take hours, days, weeks, or longer for the full meaning of a reading to make sense to you. And then it dawned on me, the atheist who told me there was no science and no technology to communicate with spirits or detect them, what did he choose to communicate with me but was science and technology and that got the wheels rolling that i have got to do the research i've got to and it took me years to write this book But I've got to be able to explain to people that spirit communication, whether it's through a medium, a visitation, a near-death experience, a deathbed vision, an out-of-body experience, a shared death experience, is not fantasy, it's not hocus-pocus, nor is it paranormal or supernatural, but it's a normal part of nature and that it can be explained on the basis of science, specifically quantum physics.
0: That is amazing. Well, yes, it, those of us are in this world, we know this to be true. But I love that you did the research and put it pen to paper. So what is that frequency? What is that afterlife frequency? Um, the- I, yes, it's quantum <clears throat> physics. But can you break it down a little bit more?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything is made of molecules, which are made of atoms, which are made of subatomic particles known as electrons, protons, and neutrons. All right, we've all learned that in science, okay? Right. But those particles are made of yet a smaller particle known as a quantum, ergo the term quantum physics, and that particle is pure electromagnetic energy. And so everything at the most basic subatomic level is electromagnetic energy. That means you, me, the air we're breathing, the radio waves that the show is being broadcast on, the light of the sun, the surface of Mars, are all at the basic level electromagnetic energy. That's why you know, people have near-death experiences talk about coming out of the experience, feeling, you know, we're all interconnected. Well, yeah, because what's happening is they're experiencing that quantum level. Every great spiritual teacher, for thousands of years, from the the times of ancient uh, India, China, Egypt, through Zoroaster, Buddha, Moses, Confucius, Jesus, Muhammad, Lao Tzu, uh, Native American spirituality, all the way up to today, always describes God in terms of light. Now, isn't it interesting that light is the only form of electromagnetic energy visible to the human eye? So I developed the concept known as the electromagnetic soul. And I described this on, on Gaia TV with George Norian on Coast to Coast and on uh, numerous television shows. And certainly, I, I went very deeply into it um, in the afterlife frequency. And so the electromagnetic soul is a term that I developed to describe what we really are, which is a soul, a spirit. In you know, in, in psychology, they refer to it as as uh, consciousness. A um, so that's the who and what we are, which is pure electromagnetic energy. And we know from the laws of physics that energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. So that when we die, think of your EMS, okay? Your electromagnetic soul. Your brain's like a computer hard drive. It didn't create your, your electromagnetic soul, it merely hosts it, just the way your computer hard drive hosts your operating system. And so when your hard drive brain crashes, that EMS is like a drop of water that plunges into this eternal sea known as the collective consciousness. You still maintain your identity because you are, you take you with you when you die. Okay. But now you're energetically linked to this vast knowledge uh, of the collective consciousness. And so... The, the afterlife frequency, that is the collective consciousness, what we also call the other side, because everything has different vibrations. All right, we get to the quantum, but see this pen, um, it's vibrating on a subatomic level, but its vibration is different than my vibration, okay? But yes, we're, we're at the subatomic level, all the same component, But it's the vibration that makes things different, makes us alive. And so our vibration, as we're housed in these corporeal entities, these bodies, is lower and slower than a spirit's, which is on a higher vibration. Think of it like this. We live in AM radio. Okay, we have amplitude, we have modulation, we have energy. Okay, it's it's an electromagnetic um, field of energy, is AM radio. And the other side is FM radio, frequency modulation, which vibrates at a much higher frequency. So you have two energetic systems that exist parallel to one another, and spirit communication, whether it's an NDE, a shared death experience, a mediumship or direct visitation, deathbed vision, is when the vibration of our AM radio, our material world frequency, And the afterlife frequency, they bring their vibration down, and you get a frequency match. And that is how and why we are able to communicate with the other side.
0: Did you know that Radiate Wellness is more than just a podcast? That's right. We're also a comprehensive, holistic wellness practice. Find out about our services, practitioners, and upcoming events at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. While you're there, visit our podcast page to read more about our great guests and even donate to the podcast. If you like our podcast, you can help in other ways as well, like subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening right now. Tell a friend, a family member, or a co-worker about the great content you find here. And if you wouldn't mind, please give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating, or a positive review. Sounds like a small thing, but it really helps. You might like to know about our Facebook communities while we're at it. We have a free community, the Radiate Wellness Community, on Facebook for news and great free content. Our subscribers group is Radiate U, as in the letter U, but also, well, you. There you'll find curated replays of past classes, guest interviews, and more. And now, back to our podcast and back to our guest. Absolutely. Thank you so much for breaking that down because I think we all can understand. You know frequency in those terms now so in the instance of a near-death experience which you are an nd as you said and i want to hear your story but um so then what happens with our energy it's it's here it's there it comes back yeah what are the mechanics of that
1: well with an nde OK, think of like here we are in, in, in uh, all right, a near death experience for people who may not be familiar is when people die and their consciousness, OK, leaves the body and they observe things. We call it veridical perception. In other words, veridical means accurate perception. Right. And um, they've been studied and reported for thousands of years and on all over the world. And there are similarities between them. And I'm giving you a crash course. My book goes much, much deeper into it. Um, but basically, it's like, you know, we're tethered to a rubber band. And we're like, you know, we get pulled right up to that FM frequency, that other side. And we can glimpse it. This is a sensation of going through a tunnel into the light, seeing loved ones who have passed, encountering the divine, um, that, that all loving, beautiful white light energy that, that people refer to as God. And even the word God is too limiting for this. And then you come back. Okay, that's why it's a near death experience, because you get as near to death as, as you can. And of course, there's skeptics and cynics who claim that this is merely a function of a dying brain, um, but I debunk those theories in the afterlife frequency. And it's not just because like, oh, no, that's not what happens. I give actual scientific reasons um, to refute uh, all of that.
0: Good. Yes. So can you tell us a bit about your own near-death experience?
1: I actually want people to read about that. And here's why. Because it introduces a key story and a key element which is germane to what comes next see with with my books i had this one lady she um when my book came out she knew that her story was in it she goes well i went right to that story and she didn't understand it because you have to start from page one because in each chapter i introduce a concept that you need to understand that will explain the subsequent concepts, you know? And uh, it was funny because she said, I mean, she understood her story, but she said, well, I thought it would be longer. And it's like, well, it was a story that was illustrating a point. You know, my whole book was not about her. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, I mean, it was a very, very nice lady and it was an extremely, well, it was an extremely important story. It was about, um, Um, I was doing a reading for her and this young man came through and I started describing him and she goes, I know who that is. And she gave, you know, and she said, but I never met him. And I said, what? Um, Her job in the military was making sure that bodies of, of uh, sailors, she was in the Navy were shipped to uh, the families and that was her first case, and she never forgot about it. And he came through and explained the, the very mysterious circumstances surrounding his death. Oh, and wow. so it was pretty heavy. And uh, that chapter, I believe, is in, in uh, the chapter on the unfolding, because a lot of times you don't understand what does this mean at the time of the reading and you don't know. Um, I'll give an example that just happened to me recently. I was doing a reading for this gentleman and his father's spirit came through and I kept getting two snakes, two snakes. So my interpretation was maybe there was something, maybe they had a story involving a snake or two snakes, or it could be a reference to what's called the caduceus, you know, the medical symbol of the staff with the two snakes on it. That's my interpretation. But the thing is, what I think doesn't matter it's what the information means to the recipient. And he said, you know, Mark, he goes, I have a feeling it's Native American. OK, now it's funny because there's some mediums that everything's Native American, Native Americans, like, you know, um, I'm not one of those psychics that pulls out Native American stuff unless that's, you know, what I'm uh, what I'm getting. But yeah. I said, well, why do you say that? He said, well, my father was 100% Sioux, full-blooded Sioux, S-I-O-U-X nation. He said, but I never met him. He died when I was a baby. He goes, but that's my feeling. I go, okay, let's go with that, and then we'll move on. So the next day, he contacted me, and he sent me um, in an email a picture from this a page in a book that he and his wife took a picture of in the Sioux language. Sioux means two snakes. Now, I didn't know that. Didn't know that, and and that's what the the beauty I love when people go, Oh, you're cold reading. Okay, really? So I'm gonna fling out two snakes hoping to get a hit, right? And his father was full-blooded Sioux, and Sioux means two snakes in the Sioux language, which I will admit I do not speak. Okay, right, and so so that's why. In spirit communication, we can't just jump to conclusions. Right. You get the evidence, and then if, even if it doesn't make sense right away, don't worry about it. You know, the readings like a flower blooms, blossoms, unfolds. It Can take hours, days, weeks, and longer before things make sense, and that's what happened in the story of that um, that young pilot. Um, there was so many questions surrounding his passing. And he came through and answered enough of them. She didn't know what a lot of things meant. She went. She contacted his family, and they said, "Oh my God, the stuff that that came through is is right on point." Because he brought up stuff about his family, his brother, and his mother that that certainly I didn't know, and certainly that uh, this woman didn't know.
0: You know, that's always amazing when that happens, and I th- that's happened to me several times too. And it's like. I don't know why this is important, but it's important to somebody. And then it comes through. So, I mean, that's, that's a question. Um, why do some, maybe it's, it doesn't seem that insignificant, but there can be details that are not tremendously meaningful at the time. So why does, why does that type of information come through?
1: I think um, initially when a spirit is working with us, Um, They're going to give us information that may initially seem trivial. You also have to realize they're tuning into us. We're tuning into them. And one of the key components of, of, um, well, let me explain. I was trying to figure out how do I explain to people who are not mediums how they can have a mediumistic experience, okay? Because not everyone's a medium, but spirits are capable of, of communicating and we're capable of receiving it. And, and here I was in my office and I was like literally banging my head against the wall. Nothing nothing was making sense. I, I just couldn't write it. I had that horrible writer's block. So I thought, all right, I'll go for a walk. So I'm taking, you know, I live near the ocean. So I'm walking down my driveway and I'm headed toward the beach and all of a sudden I get cold chills and tingles. Now, that's why a lot of people think spirit communication is scary because it's the same physical sensation as the fight or flight response. But I've done this long enough growing up with it. that I go, okay, these are spirits. And I'm getting pulled in the opposite direction to go for a walk on a bike path that does not lead to the beach. So I go, okay, so I'm walking on the bike path. It's around midday and all of a sudden, I see these two objects glowing in the light. And I walk up to them and it's a penny and a nickel. So I bend over and I pick them up. I'm just about to pick them up. I hear my mother's voice. My parents were both in spirit. It's bad luck if it's heads down. And I start laughing because that's the Italian side of the family. We have a superstition for and don't walk under a ladder. Watch out for that black cat. For God's sake, don't drop him here. You know, and so I'm laughing and then I hear my dad's voice. It's money. Grab it. So I grab this nickel and this penny and I, I, I'm holding them in my hand. Like, oh, six cents. And I go, wait a second. Wait. Whoa, six cents. And then the cold chills and tingles intensified, and I knew mom and dad were trying to, to get a message through. I go, okay, uh, I recognize this. I'm accepting this. What is it?
0: You've got my all attention. S-
1: all of a sudden, in my mind's eye, I get an image of my dad standing in the ocean up to his waist holding this blue canvas raft. okay. He was a scuba diver, swimming instructor, Navy SEAL. We used to go like, you know, body surfing or, you know, like wave riding with this. I go, raft. And then I hear my parents in unison recognize signs from spirits, accept the contact is real, feel it without overthinking it, and trust the message. And I go, raft. And I ran back to my house. Riders block on Words just fly out of me. The raft technique. And so my parents walked me through it. I recognized the signs from the cold chills and tingles. And then when I got the sixth sense, they were talking about the sixth sense. Mm -hmm. I accepted it as real. Now it's the third step. Feel without overthinking. This is where everybody that fails at this goes wrong. Oh, it's just my imagination. This is a coincidence. I really want this to happen. This can't be reject, 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 overthink, 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 overthink. Right. And that's where it fizzles out because you create an energetic block. But once you get through that, then you go to trust the message. Now I have to add something about trust. We live in crazy times. There are people who think that spirits, some type of, spiritual entity tells them, start an insurrection, put on a bomb vest, blow up a bunch of people, do all sorts of insane, horrible things. Right. Messages from spirits, messages from the divine are never about anger, bigotry, hatred, or violence. Those are messages coming from someone's ego, right. where you edge God out. Messages from spirits are about love, healing, protection, resolution. Yeah, that's the difference. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're all very, very positive. They're not all hate and kill and all that has nothing to do with God. That has nothing to do with the teachings of Jesus. That has to do with people finding a moral justification for their own ego-driven desires. And, and that's, therein lies the difference. So you know when messages from spirits are genuine because they do. They, they make people feel uplifted. Now, some people, no matter what, they're going to twist a message. Twist. I remember I did a reading for this woman, and her boyfriend had taken his own life. Mm. And he came through and I could tell that he was not dealing with a full deck when he was here. Now as a spirit, you know, he's free of all that. And I said, I keep seeing a man staring through a window. She said, well, my boyfriend, he, he was schizophrenic and it was intensifying and he used to come and stare through our windows at night when we were sleeping. Right now, this is like, you know, macabre, scary stuff. Right, And he explained to her that his last act of heroism was he had to take his own life because he knew he was going to kill her and kill her son. And he explained that this surge was like it was kind of like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing, sure. like the Mr. Hyde was coming up. And he said that he, you know, and, and here's the thing, when I when I talk about this, I am not justifying suicide in any shape, form, or fashion. This was this particular case, and he felt that if he didn't take his own life, he was going to kill her, and he wanted her to understand that, that he said that while I still had some control over my life, and she, she confirmed that the mental illness was intensifying and increasing, okay, so, so I deliver this message. I get a call from her a week later. You know, that made me feel terrible because now I feel that it's my fault that he killed himself. Mm. So, and she's like getting all angry at me. And it's like, look, I told you what he told me. It was not your fault. I said, well, would you feel better if he would have murdered your son? You know, right? would you feel better if he would have murdered the both of you and then took his own life? He said that nothing was going to stop the degenerative condition of his mental status. He was going to commit murder. And the only way to stop it was doing this. Now, of course, she said, well, we tried to get him, you know, committed and his family and everyone, and then nothing happened. The system failed us, you know, and and that was a very, very um, difficult situation. And and for, for those of you that are listening, this is part of the burden and the responsibility that, that people like Christie and I must carry, okay, because it's our job to to objectively and and without editorializing transmit the information. This guy, I thought, I mean, my, my impression of him was he, he said this is my last act of heroism. He was a hero, okay. He he was going to commit murder of her and her son, but. Instead, she overthought, overanalyzed it, and turned it into, well, then it's my fault he did this. If it wasn't her, it would have been somebody else. Right. So what's your take on that, Christy?
0: Well, absolutely, Mark, is that, um, you know, we're just the messengers, right? And humans have a tendency to overthink these things. In that case, that gentleman, he would have killed someone else, and he would have been torturing himself. He was not getting better, right? And so, yes, last act of heroism, we have to take that to the bank. If that's what the message they're giving you, that's the message that they want to relate to their loved ones. And so, um, you know, sometimes it's sometimes it's hard. And you and I, we have to interpret these things, don't we?
1: Yes. Yeah. It's
0: like, okay, well, what is that? Two snakes? What the heck? What is that?
1: Yeah, yeah you know, and suicide is, you know, my, my best friend. You know, suicide touches all of us. Right. All of us.
0: Right. Okay.
1: It could be a friend, could be a family member. Everyone's affected by suicide. And it's an extremely complex behavior. And it's real easy for people to, oh, well, he committed suicide. So he obviously, you know, and it's like, oh, before we race to judgment. You know, people that are suicidal believe that they are in a hellish reality from which there is no escape other than cessation of consciousness. Um, think about the people in 9 11 that were jumping out of the Twin Towers. Right. Now, those folks went to work that day, and none of them wanted to die that day, but suddenly they were, they were faced with one of two, they were going to die no matter what. And the the choice was die from being incinerated in a roaring fire or jumping to your death. Now, neither option is palatable, but the people that jumped realized it would be over within seconds and relatively painless or totally painless as opposed to being burned alive. Now, for people who are so depressed or who are suffering from, from mental um, impairments or, or mental health issues, right. they feel just like those people, that there's no way out but cessation of consciousness. And, and for, for those of you who may be feeling that type of depression, you have to realize you're not alone. There is 24-hour suicide hotline. There are trained professionals, people who care. People don't don't, uh, work for those hotlines for money. They do it because they want to help. And so if you are depressed and you are feeling alone and isolated, realize help is always a phone call away because nobody should be in that situation. And you know, that poor guy, you know, that was looking through the windows and all that, he knew that he was losing his sane conscious self to an actual disease. And when you look at a brain of a schizophrenic versus a healthy brain, it actually looks different. It is an organic difference. It is a real disease. And mental health, people, you know, and, and the theme of the show is healing. All right, mental health is a huge component. You know, people, oh, snap out of it. You know, Robin Williams, Robin Williams. I mean, God, did I love I loved all of his movies, okay? Um, he was great. I mean, you know, this um, <laughs> is Doubtfire, the Genie in Aladdin. I mean, you can just go down the, the list. He said people that are people don't fake being depressed. They fake being okay. Yeah. And, and so you should not have to go through this alone. Okay. Don't. That's the time to reach out for help.
0: Well, and Mark, you know what? That's, that's why I do the work that I do. And that's why I set out doing the work that I do is because I want people to know that they're never alone. You have an unending stream of other consciousness that is with you in the terms of angels and guides our loved ones right we're never any of us alone but yes if we're feeling in the physical like we're alone know that first of all you're not and second of all help help is literally a call away
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's so, so important um, if if you're suffering uh, to reach out, you know, and everybody has those days. You just feel like I just can't take any more, you know, and, um, you know, Mother Teresa um, was now St. Teresa of Calcutta. Mm -hmm. um, She said, God never gives me more than I can handle. I just wish that God didn't trust me so much. (laughs) You know, and and isn't that wonderful? I mean, think about it. You know, and Mother Teresa actually went through years of doubting the existence of God.
0: That's right. Mother
1: Teresa. So so for people who are doubting, doubt is part of the journey. How can you have faith without doubt? And if you feel that you're doubting or you feel that you're depressed, well, then you're in good company. Okay, a lot lot of really wonderful people were all at, you know, the the literally the end of their rope. And sometimes you know they let go and other times they they hold on. So um that's why healing is is so important. And and you know, Chrissy asked me when we started, what's the what theme do you want? Healing. Healing comes in four different levels. Physical, obviously we have to take care of ourselves, eat right, get some exercise. Listen to your healthcare provider, even though we don't want to hear what he or she may have to say, but physical, emotional, emotional. Sure, everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be um, respected, okay? Um, But emotional health is extremely important, and sometimes, you know, people say, I want love. Well, make sure you give love, okay? Emotional. Um, Mental mental health. And we've been talking about that quite a bit, you know, mental and and, and emotional health um, oftentimes overlap, but all four of these are are, uh, interconnected. And then there's spiritual, spiritual healing, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And when one of those is out of alignment, it affects the rest of them but when one is out of alignment, that means the three others may be stronger. So you have to bring yourself into alignment. Spirituality, what is being spiritual? It's so funny, people come up to me and go, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I say, well, what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> well, it may sound good coming out of a fortune cookie, but you should be able to mention that. And, and as a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm not religious. Well. I don't want to get into, you know, casting stones or religion, but for many people, being a member of a religion is that guide to their spiritual connect. They need the sense of community. They need, you know, their scriptures, and that's fine. For other people who feel that they don't need that, spirituality doesn't mean just going around going, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. It means essentially treating people the way you wish to be treated. Okay. Um, People oftentimes confuse God with religion. God exists in spite of religion, not because of religion. You know, Gandhi once asked, you know, there's these Hindus and Muslims are quarreling, our religion is right, yours is about it, and all that. You know, it's the same thing here in this country. You know, there's only one way. And it's like, and Gandhi asked a group of people one time, what religion is God?
0: Mm -hmm. And the Dalai Lama said, kindness is my religion.
1: And the Dalai Lama is right about that. He also said something very fascinating about forgiveness. And forgiveness is a key component to emotional and mental and spiritual healing. Forgiveness is the most difficult of all virtues. You know, forgiving another person is very difficult. Forgiving ourself is very, very difficult. But the Dalai Lama said, when you forgive somebody, go up to them, look them in the eyes and say, I forgive you. Then turn and run as far and as fast away from them as you can. Because his point was that when you forgive someone, that doesn't mean they get a free pass for being horrible to you. Right. What it means is you're no cause because anger and resentment and hatred requires commitment. He's saying you let go of that commitment to these negative emotions because forgiving someone is healing for you. doesn't mean that person gets a free pass. And it also doesn't mean you have to put up with their their dysfunctional and their bad behaviors. So you forgive somebody and then you withdraw from that
0: absolutely because holding on to that resentment is like drinking poison and wanting the other person to die
1: exactly it
0: doesn't do anything to them only it harms us and so letting that forgiveness happen doesn't dismiss what happened doesn't say oh you know don't don't mind me you do whatever you want to do not at all but it just means that when we think of that it does we don't have that negative charge anymore
1: you know um uh, I'm a movie buff, and um, I don't know if, if you've ever, did you ever see the um, the uh, movie Cleopatra that starred Elizabeth Taylor?
0: No, not completely, no.
1: Oh, there's a scene towards the beginning where, you know, Cleopatra, aka Elizabeth Taylor, she's doing something, and one of her servants comes up, and she goes to give her a cup of wine but wipes her mouth, and one of the other servants goes, why'd you wipe your mouth? And what it was is she was being hired by Cleopatra's brother to poison her. Mm. And she goes, please, please forgive me. Forgive me. And, you know, Elizabeth Taylor did such a great job with this. She goes, I forgive you. Now drink it.
0: Mm. (laughs) Yeah, That's a little extreme.
1: Yeah, it was. Right, Right. Yeah, it was.
0: Well, you know, what I love about the work that you do is that, you know, sometimes we have loved ones who pass where we haven't had that forgiveness, we haven't had that closure with them. And then we can still experience it, even though they've passed, right? Whether we've done something boneheaded against them, or they've done something boneheaded against us, and we have that opportunity to have that closure and to have that healing that happens,
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, but yes, yes. Forgiveness is one of the um, healing components of spirit communication, love, healing, resolution. Um, But it's always best to, to, practice what Jesus, do unto others, you know, treat other people the way you want to be treated. Buddha said, don't do to other people what you don't want done to you. It's the same thing, just, you know, in a different form. Dalai Lama, my religion is kindness, because it's a lot easier to get forgiveness, to extend and receive forgiveness in the material world than it is from from the other side. But let me tell you something, the forgiveness from the other side is such an empowering factor and you know f- from the medium standpoint because you know like christy and i you know we're the observers i mean we're facilitating all this but boy doesn't it feel good when we're able to transmit those messages and you can actually see their reaction for somebody you know if some of that weight comes off of them and you know so that's definitely one of um one of the joys.
0: One of the joys. You know, one of the joys,
1: you know. privileges of being able to do yes. this.
0: It is such a privilege to be able to do this. And I'll hear from people sometimes, oh, I went to this other medium who said my father is so angry and so resentful. And I'm like, that can't be right. I do not see anyone angry on the other side. We Yeah, lady, those
1: are those are Yeah, Yeah, those are either fraudulent mediums or they're inexperienced and not very knowledgeable because what they could be doing is a spirit could come through and what he or she is doing is transmitting uh, identifiers and in this world they were angry and miserable and critical and so an inexperienced medium, oh, they're still like that, but they don't, they're do not they not understanding what, what, they're, what they're getting. Uh, the other thing that just drives me to distraction, oh, this one medium told me that there's a, a negative entity that's attached itself to me, and that's why my life is so miserable. And it's like, well, show me somebody whose life is just wonderful, someone who's never been touched by grief, death, illness, sadness, financial upset, you know. Um, spirits don't attach to you. What you have to look at is that life is filled with lessons, and lessons will be repeated until they are learned. And so, when these terrible things happen to you, they're always an opportunity to teach you something. And sometimes, how we react to something horrible, like a child dying, I mean, that's just the absolute, absolute worst most crushing loss of all so now your lesson is how do i react to that well i suppose you can start developing a fentanyl or a cocaine habit and start drinking very heavily you could uh, start acting out uh, sexually or or another type of uh, criminal way or perhaps you could begin to explore your spirituality and you could learn to become more compassionate and understanding so these things are going to happen to us no matter what. Right. It's how do we react to that is the measure of how we learn and grow and heal.
0: Yes, absolutely. The theme of the day is healing. Absolutely. We could go on and on about this, Mark, because you have so many wonderful stories. You've been doing this for years and years. You have amazing things that you're doing. So you've got your books. Uh, Can you run through the titles of your books again, please?
1: My books are Never Letting Go. That's my first book, which is a guide on the journey through grief. Evidence of Eternity, which bridges the gap between the spiritual and the scientific, and the afterlife frequency, which is the scientific proof of spiritual contact and how that awareness will change your life. And then I'm a writer for Best Holistic Life magazine. Subscribe for free online at bestholistic.com. Um, I do a weekly live stream show every Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Mountain, 4 p.m. Pacific, but it streams worldwide called The Psychic and the Doc. And my co-host is Dr. Pat Basilli. She's a world-renowned behavioral psychologist. We have a great time. And we take calls from listeners. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, so, so you can find out about all these things and about signing up for my newsletter to keep up to date by visiting my website, afterlifefrequency.com. You can find out about um, scheduling a reading with me. Uh, by subscribing to my newsletter. It'll keep you up to date on things that are coming up and where I'm going. I've got a number of uh, speaking engagements this year. I'm the keynote speaker at the 2022 Helping Parents Heal Conference in in, uh, Phoenix, Arizona in in August. In September, I'm the keynote speaker at uh, the International Association for Near Death Studies. And then in October in Virginia Beach, I'll be at the Edgar Cayce Center for Research and Enlightenment, uh, the Ancient Mysteries Conference. i will be presenting sacred astrology, the mystical magi and the mystery of the Star of Bethlehem and how astro- astronomers and astrophysicists believe they have discovered what it was.
0: That is, like I said before, how do you sleep? When do you sleep? My God, you are a busy, busy man. I am so honored that you had time to sit down and talk with a little me. So, Mark. My pleasure. Thank you so much for being part of this. And um, we will definitely, I would love to have you on again.
1: I, I look forward to it. Thank you, Christy, and to all the listeners. Namaste. God bless you. And please keep tuning in to Christy. Thank you.
0: Radiate Wellness is an international community of holistic and alternative healers dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at RadiateWellnessCommunity.com.